Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, October 17th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I just want to thank our listeners. Thank everyone who follows us on Instagram for the incredible notes we're getting. You know, we've been covering this whole situation. Well, we've been covering the news for a while now, but this whole situation for the last week and a half. And so appreciate all of you who are checking in on us. I asked a question today on my Instagram account, which was like, how we doing, everybody? And, <laughs> and I think the responses were kind of how I feel, which is like, doom, gloom. So people just wrote like, oh, you know, I mean, because yeah. I feel like this news is it's hard. I, I, as I said yesterday, I'm feeling this war. And I will say um, you and I have a lot of conversations before the pod offline yes. before. Yes, we have like pre pod conversations. Yeah. And I will say you gave me a little bit of a reality check because I I was spiraling. For real. <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't be good for all of you listening to this podcast to have a spiraling Jill read the news. No. So we took a moment. We reset. Um, I did a little bit for Jill, but I tried to do for all of you a little historical context. <laughs> what's going on? And Jill said to me, she goes, you know what? I feel better now. And I said, okay, let's hit record on the pod. <laughs> I, I do. I'm, I'm laughing again. I'm smiling again. <laughs> it, was, it was a rough go. Folks, I just want you to know the rough, the 10 minutes before this podcast, we're a little rough. We've brought her back from the ledge. We're good to go. Um, Jill, in this pod, we'll be telling folks about the newest beverage to hit the uh, market, which might help you with all this. Apparently, they're going to be selling pre-mixed vodka sprites. Is that something you're interested in trying? If only I drank carbonation. Oh, that's right, folks. <laughs> new listeners. Jill has never tried a carbonated beverage in her life. Well, actually, I do. If it's alcoholic, I will. I will make an exception. Oh, but I, 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 this just doesn't sound like it's for me. So Coca-Cola without alcohol, Jill has never tried. Correct. We're going to make an Instagram video about that at some point, Jill. <laughs> All right, let's get to the news here. Um, we're starting with politics. Congressman Jim Jordan has won over some Republican skeptics ahead of today's speaker vote to the Middle East. Hamas says that it has about 250 hostages as the humanitarian crisis in Gaza gets worse and the conflict spreads to other parts of the world. In the United States, a six-year-old Palestinian boy was stabbed in an apparent hate crime. And in Brussels, two Swedes were shot dead by an alleged ISIS follower. On to business news, LinkedIn says that it will lay off nearly 700 workers. And remember the pandemic. It feels like a crisis that was so long ago at this point. Well, we'll tell you how the fight over the lab leak theory has cast a chill over research. In lighter news, the most food forward cities. How New York is not really on the top of any of these lists, Motion and I will discuss. We're going to dive into this new quote unquote food ranking list. And as Moshe was just mentioning, how about a vodka and Sprite? That canned cocktail is coming next year. And Moshe is on the same history. Jill Eminem, a.k.a. Slim Shady, a.k.a. Marshall Mathers. You will not believe how old he is turning today. <laughs> I, I do not want to know. OK, let's start in Washington, where we could have a new Speaker of the House as soon as this afternoon. Congressman Jim Jordan, a Republican from Ohio, is quickly winning over support from some of his colleagues 
even those who were skeptical of his bid for the speaker's gavel. And we are looking at a possible vote in the House as soon as today. Congressman Mike Rogers of Alabama, he is the influential chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. On Monday, he announced that he is backing the Ohio Republican after previously expressing serious reservations. Rogers cited, quote, thoughtful conversations with Jordan about their shared view on passing defense funding. And he says, quote, other appropriations to fund our government's vital functions. Several others fell in line, including Congresswoman Ann Wagner of Missouri, who last week told reporters that she was, quote, a hell no on Jordan for speaker and would absolutely not support him. Well, she has flipped and endorsed him. From hell no to hell yes, Jill. The quick succession of announcements by GOP lawmakers coalescing around Jordan is a surprise given reports over the weekend that some were exploring ways to deny Jordan support for the speakership due to his history of pushing government shutdowns. Also, as we mentioned yesterday, he voted against certifying the 2020 election results. Yeah, we should mention he founded the House Freedom Caucus. President Trump gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I mean, this guy uh, very much represents that wing of the party. Political reports that despite efforts by Jordan skeptics to rally around an alternative Republican on the House floor, that plan has stalled. There is a possibility that some Republicans still might vote Scalise as a protest vote, but they will withstand heavy pressure, including what some Republicans are describing as subtle primary threats back home. Anyone who votes against Jordan on the floor could sustain heavy criticism among GOP base voters. Even some of the Republicans who have vowed publicly and privately to fight him at every turn are beginning to get weak knees about supporting him, fearing that collective will is dwindling as their numbers decrease. Yeah, Jordan allies here have kicked off a very uh, effective, what appears to be effective pressure campaign, posting the office phone numbers of all the holdouts, the 50 people as of last week who said they would not support him. That has directed the rage of the conservative base, conservative media personalities, at those members. And it appears to have paid off here. Uh, Many of the people who opposed Jordan are moderates. uh, And in many cases, you have Republicans saying here, we're going to sponsor more conservative candidates to run against you in the primary next year, make you lose your seat to your own party for not being conservative enough. And that appears to have been pretty effective here. The moderates, their issues with Jordan include the January 6th plotting, uh, the firebrand nature. Uh, you know, he's been pushing for Biden's impeachment. A lot of stuff there that might play well with Republican base, but does not play well in swing districts. And there are a couple dozen districts where there's Republican members of Congress, but they were won by Biden in 2020. Uh, and so these people have to play much more to the middle which is not something Jim Jordan does. Uh, So that's an issue here. Jill, we mentioned on the Instagram feed, the five families. Uh, Kevin McCarthy a while ago referred to basically five groups of Republicans in the House. He calls them the five families, a la the mafia. They represent various wings. They've brought together the heads of the five families, so to speak. And effectively, you know, they have now come around Jordan. The question is, when he goes to the floor, most likely today, unless they push it back. Can he get the magic number of 217? That's the number for a majority that'll make him the next Speaker of the House. Not an insignificant job, because not only are you running the House, you're second in line to the president. So keep in mind, if something happens to Joe Biden, it goes to Kamala Harris. Something happens to Kamala Harris, it goes to Speaker of the House, Jim Jordan. So this is an important job, both at home 
and abroad. The question for Jordan is, can he hold his party together? Certainly, given his stances, no Democrats are going to be voting for him. They're going to stay in line for Hakeem Jeffries. But he can only lose four Republicans at the vote. It appears he still has about eight holdouts as of this recording late Monday night. Um, So we'll see what happens. Interesting addition here. The question many people are asking is, what is Jordan promising to some people to get them across the line? And many hardline House Republicans have been pushing for the U.S. to stop funding for Ukraine. According to Axios, several House Republicans are under the impression that Jordan will allow a vote on Ukraine funding along with Israel funding. Uh, Keep in mind, more than half of Republicans in the House are opposed to giving any more money to Ukraine at this point, nearly two years into the war. But Democrats staunchly behind the war in Ukraine, as are half of Republicans. He controls the House floor. It appears he will allow a vote knowing that a majority of his members will vote against it um, to get, again, enough Republicans over. You know, some Republicans, more than 100, still in support of Ukraine. Uh, So again, magic number to watch for, 217. He can only lose four if you're watching C-SPAN today. My guess is that most people are going to be watching you watching C-SPAN. (laughs) listen if it's as exciting as last time remember kevin mccarthy in january it was 15 votes yeah one of the longest of all time can jim jordan do it in less than 15 votes place your bets now in vegas all right now to the latest in the middle east the hamas terror group announced monday that they are holding between 200 and 250 hostages in gaza the terror group leader named abu abida says that there is no definitive count because of, quote, security and practical difficulties, but affirm that 200 of them are in the hands of Hamas following last Saturday's attack. In a televised statement, he says about 50 others are being held by groups like Islamic Jihad, some in residences around Gaza. He referred to the foreign hostages taken against their will as, quote, our guests. He vowed to protect them and release them whenever conditions on the ground allow for it. He also named an Israeli hostage that was allegedly killed in an Israeli bombing uh, in the last few hours among the 22 hostages that Hamas claims Israel has killed in some of their airstrikes against Hamas at this point. And then there's Khalid Mashal, a prominent Hamas figure in Qatar. He said in a separate interview that there are about 6,000 Palestinians in Israeli prisons right now basically boasting that Hamas holds enough hostages, including high-ranking officials in the IDF, to free all of the Palestinian prisoners. It came as Hamas released a video of one of the hostages, a French-Israeli woman named Mia Sham. She said that they are taking care of her injuries and that she wants to come home soon. We should note, Jill, uh, Hamas wasn't specific about when this was shot. Uh, this was a, a video put out for propaganda purposes. So clearly, you know, she was told to say certain things. But this is part of the psychological warfare campaign that Hamas is now engaged in to you know, try to divide Israeli society and really uh, demoralize Israel. And it comes as Israel continues to prep for a ground invasion into Gaza and the humanitarian situation worsens inside of Gaza. U.N. officials saying on Monday that they are running out of water and fuel to take care of hundreds of thousands of people. Notable early on Monday, UNRWA, the U.N. refugee group that deals with Palestinian refugees, claimed that Hamas stole fuel and medical supplies from their warehouse in Gaza And then without explanation, hours later deleted that tweet. Other U.N. officials did note, though, that Hamas stole 24,000 liters of fuel and other supplies for their terrorists. 
Uh, Mosh, can you just explain that a little bit? Why would UNRWA write that and then feel like they had to delete it? So the UN inside Gaza deals with a lot of pressure from Hamas. Keep in mind that some of the people who work for UNRWA within um, Gaza are also members of Hamas. UNRWA doesn't have any limits on who can work in their organization, in the aid organization. So there's a lot of ties there, and it's the UN operating within an authoritarian regime. So, you know, the UN doesn't show up with guns. The UN's up there there to help people. Only one side there has guns. So in this case, it was very interesting that, you know, the UN made a point of, you know, publicizing that, uh, you know, Hamas stole a bunch of the aid that's been given, you know, the fuel. We can't operate the hospital as long now because Hamas stole it. Clearly, a phone call was made or somebody was told, you take that down immediately. We can't have you fighting from within. So suddenly UNRWA takes it down. But um, third party observers, including other officials, of the UN basically admitted that that's totally the case. Jill, it's a, it's a larger challenge of all aid that gets to Gaza is ultimately you're under the jurisdiction of Hamas. And, you know, you've seen that historically under other authoritarian regimes where the people are suffering uh, and ultimately the, the regime determines how much of that aid actually goes to the people in need. Meanwhile, at the Gaza-Egypt border, things did not go according to plan on Monday. The border never actually opened yesterday as planned. A lot of finger pointing regarding what's called the Rafa border crossing. We've been talking about that a lot in the newsletter and also on Instagram. Egypt says that Israel was not cooperating with the delivery of aid into Gaza and evacuations of foreign passport holders out of Gaza. Israel blaming Egypt and Hamas for the issues. A lot of finger pointing, but the bottom line is, you know, people who can evacuate can't get out and aid can't get in. I know one issue the Israelis have brought up is they need to be able to inspect the trucks uh, coming in to ensure weapons are not being smuggled in. Egypt also very reluctant to take in too many people, anybody they think might want to stay in Egypt. So there's a lot of going on there. The U.S. trying to negotiate all of that. Uh, Jill, we still remain wait and see for the full on Israeli ground invasion and see how that plays out. Uh, Notably, on Monday, it was revealed that the Biden administration is privately pressing Israel for what its game plan is long term. As in Israel, we know you're going to go in, you're going to try to take out Hamas as the regime in Gaza. Who are you replacing them with? Apparently, Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister and his inner circle have indicated to the American counterparts, we don't have a strategy yet. We're focused on this immediate goal. We'll deal with who runs Gaza afterwards. Stop annoying us with that. Israel's ambassador to the UN saying, we're not thinking now what will happen the day after the war. We first need to win the war. And that's the thing we're focused on. The US officials, though, cautions against this approach, saying being devoid of a strategy will not be good, especially if Israel gets bogged down. Uh, Jill, I noted on the Instagram feed, you know, a country that has gone in to multiple wars in the Middle East without a long-term plan for what to do with the place once you replace the leadership? The United States? Yep. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) You can look most recently at Iraq and Afghanistan, etc. for some of the issues that one faces when you engage in regime change without really figuring out who needs to replace the leadership. Now, the Israelis would tell you, listen, we'll put the Palestinian Authority in charge. They run the West Bank, this other area that has 4 million Palestinians in it. Nevertheless, any authority that's handed the keys of Gaza by the Israelis will not have credibility with many Palestinian people saying they didn't deserve it. So will they be able to hold an election? Do they get the UN in there? Do the Egyptians and Jordanians and other Arab countries get in there? All unclear at this point, but just keep in mind, this is something we've been talking about short-term, long-term, 
What's the deal? It all comes as Biden is weighing a trip to the region to show support for Israel. Uh, the Secretary of State Blinken was back in Israel on Monday. Uh, notably, he had a meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. They had to shelter in a bunker during that meeting because air sirens went off as missiles were being shot by Hamas into Tel Aviv. Speaking of the U.S., though, uh, we do want to mention defense officials saying about 2,000 U.S. troops have been put on what's called prepare to deploy orders for possible support to Israel. According to NBC News, the troops aren't being sent anywhere yet. They wouldn't necessarily go to Israel or Gaza if they were deployed. They could potentially go to a nearby country to be prepared to support Israel in the war against Hamas. Uh, But basically, those who received the orders, they were already on a 96-hour prepare-to-deploy status. That has just been shortened to 24 hours. Jill, as we record this, Blinken just got out of his meeting with Netanyahu. Uh, He's confirmed Biden will visit Israel on Wednesday, um, so just tomorrow. And apparently there is a deal to bring in more international aid into Gaza, that they've struck a deal with the Israelis on how to get that aid in. It does come as Blinken has been holding talks in Israel, countries around the Middle East, what they call shuttle diplomacy, um, as he goes around. And it comes in Gaza as the situation is pretty, pretty terrible. 600,000 people have already been displaced from the north. Uh, This is the evacuation the Israelis called for. Still means several hundred thousand people are in northern Gaza, where Israel is set to invade. Uh, Food and water supplies, as you mentioned, in Gaza are dangerously low. Hospitals set to run out of fuel. Notably, one other thing in Israel, the head of the Shin Bet, sort of Israel's internal agency, kind of FBI plus, uh, took responsibility for the lack of early warning uh, for that terror attack that killed 1,400 Israelis, saying, as the one who heads this organization, the Shin Bet, the responsibility falls on me. But he said, there'll be time for investigations. Now we are fighting. And the violence is not limited to the Middle East. Here in the U.S., a landlord in the Chicago area was arrested and charged with murder and hate crimes this weekend after authorities say that he stabbed and killed a six-year-old boy and seriously wounded his mother, allegedly because the tenants are Muslim. Joseph Zuba, who is 71, was charged with first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder and two counts of a hate crime. The Justice Department has also opened a federal hate crime investigation into the attack. The sheriff's office says Zuba did not make a statement to detectives, but investigators determined that the victims were targeted by the suspect because they were Muslim and because of the ongoing Middle Eastern conflict involving Hamas and the Israelis. The White House says the family is Palestinian and, quote, came to America seeking what we all seek, a refuge to live, learn and pray in peace. President Biden and the First Lady saying they were shocked and sickened over the attack, offering their condolences to the family. Uh, Notably, Jill, the uncle of the boy, uh, gave a press conference where controversially he was denying some of the um, crimes that Hamas committed, some of the killings that they committed. So this has become a huge back and forth in the Chicago area. But nonetheless, you know, such a horrific, horrific situation as uh, tensions escalate, you know, globally. This is what we've been talking about um, with this coverage. It's high interest. It's getting covered everywhere. And unfortunately, there are some deranged people who've decided to, you know, take things into their own hands. Um, As we talk about Chicago, we can talk about Belgium for a second. Late Monday, a gunman killed two Swedish people in Belgium, prompting authorities to halt a nearby soccer match and place the capital there on the highest terror alert. The gunman, as of late Monday, remained at large. A video posted by the gunman on social media uh, showed him speaking Arabic, saying he was with ISIS and he was carrying out the attack in the name of God. 
All right, we have a lot more news to get to, and we promise it'll be a little lighter from here on out, folks. We want to first thank a couple of our sponsors um, on this podcast, and I want to start with Bull and Branch Sheets. They first came to us as a sponsor late last year. We're celebrating one year with Bull and Branch, and they're one of the sponsors we talked about uh, how we only like to endorse things we actually really love, and we've been with them for a long time. You guys have them over in the Wagner household. We have them in the Wanunu household, uh, Bull and Branch sheets. Uh, they really do get softer. They're very breathable, made with organic cotton. And what does that mean? Well, Bull and Branch, that's B-O-L-L and Branch, they're not made with the harsh chemicals used by some other brands. And right now they're offering a special deal for the Monews community. You can get 15% off your first order of Bull and Branch sheets with the promo code MONews. What else? bullandbranch.com is the uh, address. Again, that is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS. But make sure to see the site for details. Exclusions do apply. And now to one of our longtime sponsors, AG1. We often talk about health and wellness here on the podcast. I take AG1 powder in the mornings, especially when I'm having trouble getting all of my nutrients. It is just one scoop with a glass of water. It is easy and quick. And it lets you get on with your day knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics that support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You could visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You get a discounted monthly subscription or you could try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read from Axios. Some new U.S. crime data from the FBI was released on Monday. Moshe, you did promise the news was going to get a little bit lighter. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Gradually, gradually, we're getting there. Okay, so violent crime in the U.S. did drop last year, but property crime skyrocketed, according to the FBI's annual crime report. The reported murder and manslaughter cases in 2022 nationwide, that fell about 6.1% compared to 2021. The number of reported rape cases saw an estimated 5.4% decrease, and aggravated assaults were down 1.1%. Overall, the rate of violent crime like murder, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault per capita was slightly down. At the same time, the rate of property crime jumped in 2022 over 2021. Police reported uh, to the FBI more than 3.6 million larceny theft case in 2022. That's compared to 3.2 million the year before. That illustrated the jump in retail theft uh, that we've been talking about on this podcast and has been continuing into 2023. A car theft also spiked more than 720,000 cars stolen in 2022. Uh, that's up from 600,000 the previous year. So significant, about a 20% increase. The FBI also said carjackings increased 8% from 2021. The vast majority of those carjackings involving an assailant with a weapon. Someone was injured in more than a quarter of those carjackings. The FBI reported a 7% increase also in hate crimes from 2021 to 2022. Now, this is not comprehensive. Some states don't report everything. Like, for example, in Florida, they don't report hate crimes. So they don't feel like they have a comprehensive grasp on all the states. But that gives you a sense of the majority of the areas reporting crimes. By the way, when we talk about hate crimes, when it comes to 2022, the majority of race-based crimes, anti-Black, majority of religious crimes, anti-Jewish, 
And when it comes to sexual orientation, the most amount of crimes were committed against gay men. Now to some business news from Reuters. LinkedIn said on Monday that it would lay off about 668 employees across its engineering, talent and finance teams. It is the second round of job cuts this year for LinkedIn, which is owned, by the way, by Microsoft. It is a social media network for professionals, and it comes amid slowing revenue growth. Jill, have you been on LinkedIn lately? Unfortunately. <laughs> no, I'm just say. kidding. I mean, I, I, I like, don't enjoy LinkedIn. No, I don't enjoy LinkedIn. I know some <laughs> people are big LinkedIn people. We're Instagram people, among others. But, you know, like most of my messages are spam now. So I feel like they got a clean house over there. Keep in mind, you have about 20,000 people who work at LinkedIn. So this affects about 3% of employees. And this comes as there's been mass layoffs across the tech industry. So Microsoft owns LinkedIn, but there's also been massive layoffs at Amazon, at Google, at Meta um, over the last year. The tech sector alone has laid off more than 140,000 people in just the first half of 2023. That's compared to 6,000. Again, 140,000 to 6,000. There's been this significant increase. One of the key revenue drivers over at LinkedIn is ad sales, you know, related to people, you know, posting jobs. Um, And so as the job market has sort of quieted down, that has certainly taken a toll on LinkedIn revenue. From the New York Times, questions about whether COVID leaked from the Wuhan laboratory have cast a chill over American virus research, drying up funding for scientists to collect and alter pathogens. It's also intensified a debate over those practices. This pullback has transformed one of the most highly charged fields of medical science. While some believe such experiments could fend off the next pandemic, others are worried that they're more likely to start one. At Penn State, a proposal to infect ferrets with a mutant bird flu virus, it passed the federal government's most rigorous biosafety review only to be blocked by the National Institutes of Health. The theory that COVID came from a Wuhan lab leak, one of the reasons that experts say the study has been rejected. In Washington, international development officials pulled the plug this summer on a $125 million program to collect animal viruses after two senior Republican senators demanded that they end the project. And elsewhere in the United States, nearly two dozen virologists described a profession-wide retreat from sensitive experiments. Some said that they had stopped proposing such work because research plans were languishing in long and opaque government reviews. Yeah, so this is going to be interesting to watch. Some of the affected experiments here constitute what they call gain-of-function research. That effectively means that scientists genetically alter a virus to see whether that makes a pathogen deadlier or more contagious. Most just to jump in, if people remember a few years ago, this is what Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci were basically arguing about in Congress, this this gain-of-function research. Right. Rand Paul arguing that the U.S. funded gain-of-function research on viruses to make them more contagious. Fauci saying, no, we never funded that in the Wuhan lab. The facts seem to lie more with um, Paul at times than Fauci. Either way, The advocates for this work say there's no better way to hone in on what mutations make a virus more dangerous than this gain-of-function research. Yes, it's risky, uh, but with the right safeguards, it's important work. Findings can help researchers spot the most worrisome of new pathogens that are jumping from animals to humans and prepare vaccines to target pandemic-ready viruses. So basically, isolate out there like, ooh, this is only one step away from getting really bad, and that's where the advocates lie here. 
One virologist told the New York Times, by the way, the next flu pandemic is brewing in nature out there, and we have very little means of stopping it, very little means of identifying it. The freight train is coming, and we need to do something to get ahead of it. So that's the side here that says gain of function is important. Now, the critics say that fiddling with deadly viruses poses intolerable risks for the sake of only what they believe are hazy public health benefits. There are lab mishaps. You know, there's some evidence. You know, it's not conclusive because the Chinese haven't allowed investigation into there, but there's evidence that that may have been the case in Wuhan. Um, And we've seen also um, other labs around the world. We did a story a few months ago about how there's more of these high biohazard level labs and with that, very little oversight. So while the odds are small of a lab-generated outbreak, a leak could be catastrophic. Some people say, just shut it down. We don't think this is beneficial. Interesting, back in 2014, after some mishaps, Obama, President Obama, shut down gain-of-function research with new safeguards. It was President Trump who opened up gain-of-function research with some new rules. But now, post-COVID, still very controversial. Some saying, you saw what COVID did. We got to prevent the next one. Others saying, cut it out. We can't afford a mistake. Okay, now I think we're on the lighter news. From CNBC, (laughs) (laughs) Coca-Cola. From CNBC, Coca-Cola teaming up with Pernod to launch a new ready-to-drink and pre-mixed cocktail beginning in 2024. The new cocktail will contain a mix of absolute vodka and Sprite, the companies say. It will be available in two versions with Sprite and also Sprite Zero Sugar. The debut is planned for early next year in select European countries, including the UK, the Netherlands, Spain, and Germany. Not clear when it will be available in the U.S., although, Mosh, I feel like the U.S. is the market for this. I feel like I I don't totally see this being popular in Europe for some reason. I feel like, you know, if if you're not a Jack and Coke person, maybe you're a vodka Sprite person. The canned cocktail industry has been growing in popularity in the past couple of years. There was a report just last year that found that ready-to-drink beverages are the fastest-growing spirit category in both revenue and volume of vodka, already one of the most popular bases for these ready-to-drink beverages, and lime and lime soft drinks like Sprite, one of the most popular mixers. So you're taking a popular soda, you're taking a popular alcohol, and so they're hoping this works out for them. And finally, from Axios, the most food-forward city in America is San Francisco. Mm. (laughs) That from the food consultancy Data Essential. It used a custom formula and an enormous database of restaurant menus to make the determination. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that San Francisco has the best food, just that it has the greatest diversity of cuisines, lots of emerging foods, and plenty of residents who seek out what they're calling gustatory novelty. Jill, what do we think about gustatory novelty? I think it is the opposite of what happens in my house, which is that we eat basically (laughs) the same thing every day. (laughs) Interesting they've gone this way. I know you have more data here, given that in New York City, for example, in Queens, I believe there's the most amount of languages spoken in an area, almost 200 languages, um, and all the food associated with it. So go on. Uh, So Data Essential ranked 158 cities based on the breadth and variety of their restaurants and residents' interest in and awareness of a wide array of foods. California cities dominating the top of the list, including what they consider slight curveballs like San Diego and Monterey. Likely suspects like New York and Chicago shut out of the top five. The bottom five were concentrated in the Midwest. We're talking places like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Green Bay, Wisconsin, and Fargo, North Dakota. Not surprised about 
that end of the list. Um, I'm surprised about the top 10. Just going through the graphic here. Number one, San Francisco. Number two, LA. Three, Miami. Four, DC. San Diego cracking number five ahead of New York at six. Houston, Monterey, Vegas at nine. Austin, Texas at 10, according to this list. As for why this matters, the article claims that cities derive their economic strength and attract residents in part on the basis of their culinary chops. So rankings like this can drive investment, draw talented chefs. Data Essential says, quote, this is not at all to say that the food in Wausau, Wisconsin, or any of those places that doesn't rank at the top of the list is not exceptional. Wisconsin probably has some of the best brew pub food on earth. So don't riot Wisconsin against Data Essential, but they are talking about diversity of cuisine. One of the factors also that went into this list, how often early stage food trends show up at local restaurants, highlighting that a particular city is responsible for giving life to new food trends. So they feel like if it shows up first in your city, you know, you're driving the trends. And so they gave that extra oomph. Uh, We should also note uh, there are plenty of other rankings that have reached different conclusions. It's not all data essential. Uh, there's Wallet Hub. They have a list of the best foodie cities in America, which factored in affordability of quality ingredients and restaurant meals. They give the top ranks to wait for it Orlando, Portland, and Sacramento. So, really, depending on where you live, you can probably find a list that praises your food, except for you folks in Wausau, Wisconsin. I don't see you guys at the top of any list so far. But I haven't been there. Jill, I grew up in Chicago, so I've often made my way to Wisconsin places like Racine and Madison and Milwaukee and Green Bay. I have not been to Wausau, but it's on my list. This is also interesting. As for trending items and ingredients that you could expect to see in these food forward cities, which I also, by the way, think is like a completely made up thing. Data Essential (laughs) says (laughs) lavender, nectarine, pistu, which is a garlic and basil condiment. And also the mixed dessert plate. It's kind of like a charcuterie board of sweets, which I am totally about. All right. So Jill is not about food forward cities except for the mixed dessert plate. Because have you ever been at a table where everyone wants dessert but can't really agree on what to get? This way, everyone, there's a little bit for everybody. Jill, in those scenarios, I try to take command and I say, listen, we're going to be getting four desserts as a table. Everyone's like, oh, I don't know. I just like, you know, dessert is so whatever. And I'm like, this is the deal. This is what we're ordering. I try to, I really try to bring some oomph to the end of the meal there. And that's why I feel like we need to all go out for dinner soon. Yes. Yes. Very (laughs) soon. All right. Let's get to On This Day in History. On this October 17th, we're going to begin in 1931, uh, nearly 100 years ago. Gangster Al Capone is sentenced to 11 years in prison for tax evasion, and he's fined $80,000. It's the downfall of one of the most notorious criminals in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, His gang was involved in murder and a whole bunch of crime. He was actually at the top of the FBI's most wanted list uh, for a couple years there, but he avoided jail by bribing city officials, intimidating witnesses, maintaining various hideouts. When he was only 32 years old, so he did, Al Capone did a lot of this notorious stuff in his 20s. At 32, on this day, He is sentenced to prison on the tax evasion charge. Uh, They got him on taxes. He got out after eight years uh, and then ends up going home to Palm Island, Florida, where he dies at the um, age of 46. All right, we fast forward here to 1956. On this day, Bobby Fischer wins what's called the Game of the Century at the time. Bobby Fischer, 13 years old. It's a chess match with 26-year-old Donald Byrne. Takes place in New York City. Fisher would win. He would then go on to win the U.S. championship in chess at the age of 14, become a grandmaster at the age of 15, and then 
go on to become a world champion. Jill, do you play chess? Checkers. <laughs> the <laughs> the More simpler. Of a checkers, Cal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fast forward to 1989 on this day. Some people might remember watching the World Series that night. Earthquake strikes the Bay Area in magnitude 6.9. The Loma Prieta quake rocks Northern California during Game 3 of the World Series at the time. Notably, it was the World Series between the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland A's being played at Candlestick. It postponed uh, the rest of the World Series for a number of days there. The earthquake. Uh, catastrophic killing 67 people, injuring 3,700 and causing $5 billion in damage. I remember watching that World Series. It was quite a moment and, you know, is the constant fear in the Bay Area of when the next big one will hit. Uh, they had the big 1906, 1989. Let's hope many, many years, like, and let's hope nothing happens for many, many, many years. All right, we're going to end here with pop culture. On this day in 1972, Jill, a certain rapper was born. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's Eminem turns, wait for it, 51 years old today. Oh my God, how old are we, Mosh? <laughs> <laughs> Jill, just for context, Dr. Dre turns 59 next year. Snoop Dogg turns 52 in a couple days. Who would have thought of all of these people that Snoop Dogg would have kind of had this second act <laughs> as, as like, like a TV personality? He has his own marijuana line. That's not super surprising. His partnerships with Martha Stewart. <laughs> it's amazing. I just don't it's think amazing. you could have predicted that 20 years ago. Not at all. And it's incredible because, you know, these guys still have major cultural relevance, right? You know, the Super Bowl halftime show from a couple of years ago. Um, but I don't want to talk too much about Snoop Dogg because his birthday is coming up later this week. So we'll give him his own moment to shine on this day in a couple days. And finally, if you have slightly different musical taste. It's been one week since you looked at me. Cock your head to the side and said I'm angry. On this day 25 years ago, the Bare Naked Ladies, one week, reached number one on the Billboard charts. I feel like the only thing I remember about the Bare Naked Ladies is that they're Canadian. Because I had a Canadian friend who loved them and would always talk about how, how they were from Canada. Yes, one of those 90s Canadian rock bands. And I feel like they came out with a better reputation than Nickelback, uh, another <laughs> 90s Canadian rock band that people like to, you know, give people crap about. Right. I don't know why even you mentioning that name just made me well, laugh. Because, <laughs> because, like, we're talking about Canadian rock, right? So you have Bare Naked Ladies, you have Nickelback, Simple Plan, uh, Arcade Fire, Canada. For its 30 million population, Justin Bieber, I mean, if we're going beyond Drake, if we're going beyond um, rock bands, but uh, I feel like punches above its weight when it comes to music. That is a great endorsement, Mosh. And I know that we do have some Canadian listeners. Uh, so a big thank you to everybody for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And thanks to all of you who are joining Mo News Premium for Deep Dive on the Middle East conflict in particular this past week. I promise with paternity leave, uh, I slow rolled extra episodes on the premium podcast feed. We'll be having a couple coming out in the next couple weeks here. So look out for those, some really interesting ones, and the constant Q&As and deep dives on the premium feed. You can find that all over at mo.news slash premium to join today, get that extra content, and support what we're doing here. All right. Bye, everyone. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.